Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we begin, this is a crowdfunding message. The crowdfunder is off to a really strong start. And thank you to the hundreds of people who have become patrons who aren't hearing this because most of them are now getting ad-free versions of this. But I have to tell you, that at the pace that we are going, we're going to miss our goals. We're doing well. We're not doing well enough. If we are going to do the things we want to do, if we're going to hire Jaron Kerr, who spent four months investigating the Kielbergers organization, if he's going to become a staff member here and continue to investigate things and put that kind of time into deep dive investigations, we need more help now. If we're going to hit the goal after that and hire an investigator who's going to exclusively look at accusations of sexual misconduct, we are going to need more help Now, if you have been thinking maybe somebody else would do it, it's not so. We need you. We need you to do it now. This is, people, for the price of a fancy cup of coffee or like a shitty sandwich. It's like a small sandwich or a very large coffee. It's five bucks a month to get ad-free versions of this. That is what it costs to keep us doing the work that I think we are proving we are capable of doing. Please go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. And apologies in advance, we suspended advertising for our first crowdfunding episode, which means got to keep the lights on and there's a few more ads than usual today for those of you who are not getting our premium ad-free stream. Sandy Garasino, journalist and podcaster, The National Observer. Hello again. Hi, Jesse. How are you? I'm doing great. Today, Sandy, we are going to talk about the ongoing saga of Prince Scarface, as you've called him, Mohammed bin Salman. (laughs) And we are going to talk about Election Day. It was Election Day in your province and mine. And here in Ontario, CBC TV's election coverage was the first in the province to report the outcome of this week's Murdoch Mysteries. Good to have you back. Nice to be here. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Dan Mirau, Vadim Taraskin, Veronica Giniz, Anne Richard, Alex Naylor, Ollie, Zachary Francis Bloomfield, and Aaron Beagle. Hi, my name's Aaron, and I run a not-for-profit here in Thunder Bay, Ontario. I support Canada Land because you promise to take a critical look at what's going on in Thunder Bay, and I trust that you're going to put it in a national context for all Canadians to learn from but also because I know what it's like to try to find money to do great work. So I want to help you out. Keep it up. And Sandy, this episode is brought to everybody by one of our sponsors, Endy. 
Endy, of course, offers a 100-night trial of their incredible mattress with free returns. You can test your mattress in the comfort of your home instead of um, lying down in your clothes in a big box showroom floor like a weirdo. You can just sleep on the thing and you get like three months. And at the end of three months, you say, no, no, I demand a better mattress than this somehow. You just call them up and they come and take it and they give it to charity. But that doesn't happen that often because it's a really good mattress and I sleep on one every night. They are a Canadian mattress company with free shipping to every Canadian province. And it's a lot cheaper than other mattresses that are shipped to your door because they ship within Canada and there's no conversion costs and they are made with Canadian materials. You get 50 bucks off of those already very reasonable prices because you listen to this podcast. So go to nd.ca and use the promo code CanadaLand and get 50 bucks off an ND mattress. Sandy. Jesse. Sandy, I don't know who you like to sell your weapons to. I mean, that is a very personal choice, you know? <laughs> who do I trust to sell my massive weapons of war to? But I'm starting to think that Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, maybe not a guy we should be selling our weapons to. I don't know. What do you think? You think? You think? I'm, I'm s- maybe? Mm, maybe? Mm, may- maybe not. Maybe not him. Worst humanitarian disaster in the world of historic proportions in Yemen, all the signature work of Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who started that business a couple of years ago when he was Minister of Defense for Saudi Arabia. I don't know. Yeah. Should we be part of that? Maybe not. Yeah, like a lot of psychotic heirs, you know, in the world right now. A lot of, a lot of like psychotic dudes who, who were born into massive wealth. That's a whole other thing. This, should we sell weapons to Saudi Arabia or not? Like, I've been yammering away about this. Stephen Chase of the Golden Mill has been reporting away on this. And it's kind of like being met with a, a lot of indifference through the years. And I think that there's this kind of Canadian thing of like, come on, what's the big deal? It's worth billions of dollars to us. And if we don't, you know, we have to manufacture and sell these massive LAVs to them because, you know, if we didn't, somebody else would, you know? Like, I think that, that that's kind of catching up with, you know, people's consciences, you think? I think a lot of Canadians are really uncomfortable and probably always have been really uncomfortable. I mean, there's a difference between not going forward with any new contracts and cancelling a $15 billion contract that's going to affect employment of people who are currently building those LAVs, those light armored vehicles that that we're going to be selling. It's a very tough one, but I think the government has to look very closely at this. When you look at Saudi Arabia's spending, it's unbelievable and it's impossible to see that it's not really a kind of way of bribing different countries into shutting up and putting up with whatever Saudi Arabia does. Their military spending... I had a look at this, and I'm, it's staggering. Their military mm-hmm. spending is the highest per capita in the world by several orders of magnitude. That includes the United States. I'm not talking about total spending. I'm talking about their spending per capita. They spend about 10% of their GDP on weapons and arms, on military, and on this horrific campaign in Yemen that has got millions and millions of people starving. And they do that partially by entering into massive armament contracts with different countries around the world. And that really has an effect of shutting people up. You know, we really came up against this in the summertime when Christian Freeland 
tweeted support for women's rights, and we we were slammed, slammed. And the biggest, most notable thing about that controversy to me was that nobody internationally said a word when basically relations between our countries totally broke down and we were our ambassador was expelled from Saudi Arabia over a tweet in support of women who had been arrested and are being detained for advocating women's rights so i you know this has a real effect and i think that maybe we ought to get off this drug well, you think it would have a real effect. It seemed like it was having a real effect. They kicked out uh, Canada from Saudi Arabia, and then there was a, this bizarre tweet of a plane flying into the CN Tower that their propaganda arm put out there. And then, you know, Justin Trudeau was saying, like, yeah, we're going to step away from this arms deal. And then he kind of walked it back. Mm. I want to play people. This is uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking to Matt Galloway on Metro Morning here in Toronto about just, you know, how difficult it's going to be because that pesky Stephen Harper... He's the one who signed a really tough contract with the House of Saud. So will you stop with the LAV deal then? Is that is that going to stop? Um, the people, con- people want the, a clear answer on this, yeah. in part because you used well, the word unthinkable. The contract signed uh, by the previous government, by Stephen Harper, makes it very difficult uh, to uh, suspend or leave that contract. And we are looking at... Uh, a number of things, but uh, it is a difficult contract. What makes it difficult? I actually can't go into it because part of the deal on this contract is uh, not talking about the contract, and it's one of the. Sandy, this is like I don't know settled science, isn't it? I mean, this is this is why we have Stephen Chase reporting on this diligently over the course of months and I don't know years at this point. He proved that this is not something that was out of the hands of the Liberal government. He demonstrated, his journalism showed us that Stefan Dion, when he was the Minister of Defense, absolutely had the authority to stop this deal, and he rubber-stamped it. So it is their problem now. And I think that to wheel out this, oh, this is a Stephen Harper thing and my hands are tied thing, it's completely disingenuous and disproven. I guess so. I don't think it changes the fact. I mean, the the fundamental facts are that there would have to be some sort of payment. There's going to be a clause of some, some penalty clause for exiting that deal. I would be surprised if it's as low as a billion dollars. I think there could be more involved. And there is going to be unemployment that's going to come out of this. This is going to have an effect. $15 billion deal is nothing to sneeze at. So that's the problem. And that is the problem with getting into these contracts with these governments. And I don't care if it's Stephen Harper, if it's Justin Trudeau or Stefan Dion or any of these people. Saudi Arabia has been an extremely difficult country to say the least. And right now it is being ruled with an iron fist by a dangerous psychopath who orders the murders of journalists, you know, and that's just intolerable. Whether it's this deal, which I would love to see cancelled, but we have to understand that's going to come at a cost. It's going to be painful. It's going to be painful to Canadians. But there's got to be some way that Canada can indicate that we're just not going to be getting involved in these kinds of things. But it's not just Saudi Arabia. You know, we're going to be doing deals with China. We've got, there are other countries. We're going to see this over and over again. And we're going to have to make some pretty hard choices about where we go as a nation. But right now, Saudi Arabia is, I mean, it's just a terrible situation 
this guy is leading that country and leading the Middle East into chaos. What's going to come next in the Middle East as a result of of this dangerous psychopath running things is we don't know, but it's not good. And the fact that this is basically the tacit ally of Israel in the region and the entire setup is nothing that we should be involved in. Israel should be extricating itself in some way from its close relationship with Saudi Arabia, but it's between a rock and a hard place. None of this is good, but we shouldn't be addicted to the dollars of these countries. I'm going to disagree with you that this is such a difficult decision. You know, it's like the textbook moral dilemma. Uh, Yes, there is money attached to selling arms to bad actors. And it's sort of like, isn't that kind of just like a cost of entry table stakes, NATO, Western civilization kind of thing of like, don't arm tyrants. Yes, there's money in it, but it's bad and it ultimately will be bad for everybody and it'll spill out and it won't just be contained to that country. It's kind of just like this primary ethical consideration in terms of international trade that I think that we've kind of, I understand it's going to be tough for people in London, Ontario. I don't don't discount that. I think the government should help with that transition because the government got them into this mess in the first place. But like, it's just not like that nuanced a question. They're using the Canadian weapons on their own population. I think that they were seen in Yemen as well. Like, there's just no question about this. It's, like, it's just, if you want to raise the initial question again of like, do you sell weapons to murderous tyrants or not? And we're going to restage that moral dilemma again, then I guess it's complicated. But I, I kind of thought we'd figure that one out. Well, I find it very hard to argue with you, Jesse, until it comes time to pay the bill. And every politician understands that there's a political cost to cancelling a deal of this magnitude. How can I argue with you? I can't really argue with you, except it's going to be costly, it's going to hurt. And then, you know, then where does that lead us politically? Where does that introduce a level of uncertainty? And, you know, that's only going to raise the political fortunes of a party that would probably be very happy to do lots more of these deals. You know, so it's it's not like things have no consequences. They do have consequences. And I'm troubled by that. I'm troubled because I think the Conservative Party would be thrilled to do $30 billion, $50 billion with the government of Saudi Arabia. And they'd find a way to do it. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm gonna recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you wanna take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1, try it now, and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Sandy, do you have a duly noted for us? Well, my duly noted today would be about the deafening silence of most Canadian media 
on climate change and this whole business about carbon tax. You know, it was just a few weeks ago that the New York Times published the new IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, issued a new statement, a new report that the hour is upon us. We have 12 years to dramatically change our energy systems or risk ecological and social disaster. And as the New York Times said, wake up world leaders, the alarm is deafening. The time is now to act and we are still stuck in very juvenile level media coverage of things like carbon tax and who's got the upper hand and who should be doing what. And again, horse race calling on what is a global emergency. You know, the National Observer, my outlet that I publish on, was the only media outlet to send a specialized environmental reporter to cover the recent G7 energy environment ministers in Halifax. We were the only Canadian media outlet to send a reporter to cover international climate change negotiations last year in Germany. And when other media outlets cover these issues, they do so in a way that fails to address the cost of doing nothing. And the cost of doing nothing is huge. So here we are right now wrapped up in a huge national debate about carbon tax as if the only thing that we have to worry about is if it's going to cost us a little bit or nothing or a lot when there's so little expertise at the media level on what the costs of doing nothing are. And I'm just, I'm really kind of stunned that the National Observer, which is very small in the whole big world, is pretty much alone in funding dedicated experts, media experts and environmental experts to do reporting on these issues. Sandy, that is absolutely true. And we are absolutely guilty of everything you're saying. Like, I am going to confess, like, I do not know how to cover this stuff. I feel like my practice, the way that I approach stories, the way I know how to talk about things is just failing on this. We have these conversations here all the time of like, well, how do we make a compelling story out of this? How do we put, this is going to be a policy conversation about carbon taxes. Is it going to be the big picture scientific story that everyone knows the news is very, very bad? Like, I, I don't know. I heard an episode of The Daily recently that I think did a good job of making it work as a news story. But much like our, you know, system of world governance, I feel like our system of media and story structures that we're familiar with are just ill-equipped. Like we just don't have the tools. That sounds like a defeatist thing. I'm, I, I want to learn, and I'll say this, I, I would be very eager to dedicate uh, a full show and more to this, to just figuring out how to make this stuff matter to people, and I guess part of it is figuring out how to, how to get it uh, to be a bit more real to me. Duly noted. Cindy, I want to duly note a, a tough question that was asked in Parliament. This concerns the ongoing slow-moving scandal of Navy Admiral Norman, who leaked word to, uh, I believe it was to CBC reporter James Cudmore, that um, the government was basically doing kind of like a no-bid contract with the Irvings for this massive shipbuilding contract, and he wasn't happy about that, and he wanted the contract to go elsewhere and, uh, you know, broke protocol, it seems, allegedly, and, and I think, you know, killed his career. Now, what happened back then was James Cudmore was reporting all this stuff for the CBC, kind of a great scoop, and then he was hired by the liberal government. He went to work for Hajit Sajjan in the Ministry of Defense. And that led, this is all kind of slowly, you know, the truth is coming out. And that led to this question being asked by MP Candace Bergen. 
Mr. Speaker, I, uh, I have a question for the Minister of National Defence. Can he tell us on what date former CBC journalist James Cudmore was offered a job in his office as his senior policy advisor? And Sandy, when I heard her ask the question, it occurred to me, I know the answer to that question because I had an on-the-record conversation with James Cudmore when he left the CBC to go work for government. That's, a, that's the kind of thing that like is on my radar when a journalist goes to work for government. And I went through my notes to see if I asked him the obvious question, like, when did they offer you the job? And indeed, I did ask him that question, and I have his answer to that question of when he was offered that job, which seems to be pretty important information right now. But I'm not going to share it just yet, because Minister Sajan has promised that he will provide an answer, and I kind of want him to go first. Duly noted. Oh, and Sandy, I lied. I have one more uh, shout out before we move on today. I was reminded of it because we're talking about true crime. We're trying to get the word out about our Thunder Bay podcast and we just want as many people as possible to hear this thing. We don't have like ads on it except for the crowdfunding message. We just like, we're proud of this work and we think it's an important story and we want as many people to listen to it as possible. But we don't have, you know, like a 1.5 billion in revenue, you know, uh, public broadcasting system with which to promote our own stuff. We're just doing everything we can. All of which is to say that when we're trying to figure out how do we promote our Thunder Bay show, this wonderful Christy Lee, who hosts the Canadian True Crime Podcast, just basically volunteered that, you know, we're making a true crime show. The true crime podcasting world is this close-knit community that has kind of a staggeringly large audience. And she's shouting out our stuff on her show, and she's getting her other true crime podcasting friends to shout out the, the Thunder Bay show. And the least I could do is let you know that you should check out her terrific podcast as well, the Canadian True Crime Podcast. So thank you, Christy, and um, check it out, Canadian True Crime Podcast. I'm going to check that out. So, Sandy, uh, we had an election here in Ontario this week. You had one in British Columbia. And I broke word last week that the CBC, a lot of people there were upset because CBC television in Ontario decided they were not going to be covering the municipal elections across Ontario. They would instead be airing the Murdoch mysteries. And there were people there who uh, were pretty upset about that because as public broadcasters who, like, you know, have this... TV station that's like on the public airwaves, they thought that maybe election night is a good time to, you know, tell the public about the electoral process. And that news that I mentioned on Twitter and on this show got picked up, the Toronto Star and then and the Globe and Mail wrote it up. And then there was a letter written by CBC staffers to management decrying this. And we'll talk about election coverage in general, but I want to I want to just follow up on this on the CBC thing, because the statement that came from Marissa Nelson, who's the managing director for CBC in Ontario, is pretty extraordinary. Her letter that was published in the Globe Mail said that CBC will lose relevance if we don't change to meet our audience's needs. And we know that digital is where we can reach the most Canadians. Local services across the country has had to weigh how to serve audiences as best we can with the resources we have. billion in revenue a year. We have been working under a digital first strategy for nearly five years, and that's the lens we use when we're making difficult decisions. That's like really something for a few reasons. The idea that you will lose relevance if you start covering elections is like gobsmacking. But I just bristle at this. It's like 10 years now that we've been hearing CBC and many others using this idea that they're doing something progressive and digitally futurish by degrading their news coverage and by shifting, you know, it's not it's not about the medium per se, though I do think that like election night is when people do go and watch TV to find out what's going on as citizens. 
it's that the CBC funds and resources TV to a much higher degree than they do like a Facebook live stream. So yes, they were still covering it through their app and on Facebook, which is problematic for other reasons, but the, the coverage was, you know, I wasn't hearing good things. And, uh, it is a statement of their priorities. I mean, she, I mean, she just made a statement of her priorities, you know? And think about it this way. This is the public broadcaster. What is the public broadcaster's mandate? What's fascinating to me about this analysis that you've just described is that it's treating the CBC as if it's just another network that's got to compete against other with other networks in the entertainment, infotainment new world of of digital, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that that's its job is to be competitive with other networks that might show, you know, I don't know, wrestling or boxing or whatever. The mandate of the CBC is to serve the public. And what could be more central to that mandate than broadcasting during major elections? I'm actually really stunned by how short-sighted and, and tunnel vision this analysis is. You know, I'm, I'm a broken record with this stuff because they are just so fundamentally of a different understanding of what their job is. And this happened during the last election when they chose not to broadcast a leader's debate. Mm-hmm. Like, they, like they, the, the public broadcaster said no to broadcasting a leader's debate because of some like internal politics that got their nose out of joint about who was getting the broadcasting rights. or who. The whole thing was ludicrous. But, you know, to talk about what a public broadcaster is, is just not something that they understand or get. So that's a drum that I'll bang every chance I get. It's also like, you know, you say they, they have to compete with the networks. If they were competing with the networks, they would have had election coverage. CP24. Exactly. Exactly. Like the, the privates other, are doing The other it. networks were doing it. So they obviously figured that it was a, a prudent business decision. Or maybe they had a stroke of civic duty. <laughs> no, know. people, I, this idea that they're pushing, that, that the ratings for Murdoch Mysteries would be higher than municipal elections and nobody cares about municipal elections, I really scrutinize. I want to know the numbers. In previous years, I want to compare that to the Murdoch Mysteries because I think this has more to do with internal CBC politics and the prioritization of scripted costume dramas over their fundamental mental purpose to serve the citizens of this country. Like, I actually don't buy the idea that more people watch the Murdoch Mysteries than would have watched the election coverage. Well, I'm getting pretty tired of scripted costume dramas, and I don't know how many Anna Green Gables <laughs> I can watch. I'm beating up on the Murdoch Mysteries. They, they have another one. That block of programming on election night, there was another costume drama, like pre-Victorian murder mysteries. Like, that's, that, that's the digital future of the CBC. It's quite something. Can you tell me a little bit about how things played out with the media coverage of uh, your election out in BC? Well, it played out really well. I mean, frankly, I can't tell you what the local CBC did because I was watching Global and I was watching CTV and I was online and watching everything. And in the Vancouver election, the um, city's website crashed because it was such a close call that, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was down to the wire all night long, and everybody was refreshing, refreshing, refreshing the city of Vancouver's page about every 30 seconds about its um, election results. So it was a nail biter here, and everybody was watching. This was a show that that everybody who was tuned into politics, which turns out is not Everybody, but everybody who was, was watching this one very closely. That's encouraging. And, and my understanding of BC is that Global really is the, the, the news leader out there, huh? Yes, it's absolutely dominant on television. CBC Radio, a different story. They, are, they have a very strong radio presence. 
And Sandy, did you guys have any like Nazi sympathizing uh, white supremacists running for, for local? We, we had we we had one. She got trounced, but we had one. <laughs> she got she got pretty creamed, didn't she? I, you know, no, we did not. Although it's very interesting and sad to take note of, we have virtually no people of color on the Vancouver City Council and. We've got one person of color, but nobody from the very, very significant uh, groups of the Canadian Chinese community, the South Asian community, the Filipino community, just no presence at all. Are you serious? There are no Asian members of Vancouver City Council? Nope. Nope. There's a lot of dynamics into this and how this all played. A lot of this has to do with the fact that Vision Vancouver, which has been the dominant party, was completely annihilated, swept out of office, all the other parties, the party that emerged really in a in a very remarkable way were the Greens, but they didn't run a mayoralty candidate, so they aren't the uh, dominant party on council. But part of the dynamic was there's such a backlash against the developers and the money laundering and the affordable housing issue was so huge, and Vancouver has been hit so hard by that it's impossible not to not to think that this played in some way there there's such a huge rejection of the developers and the and the global capital that's coming in which is primarily an asian thing but i don't think it's just that there's another element at play here which is that on our school board elections one of our major election issues was gender identity and LGBTQ and the Chinese community very largely is very, very conservative. And that issue played out big and the voters really took a hard position in support of uh, an inclusive LGBTQ policy. And uh-huh. I don't know whether that was part of it as well. I see. But it's there's a, there's a lot of dynamics, but it's a very bad situation. Um, part of it is that Vancouver does not have wards. We are at large. So the entire city votes for all councillors. Now, Sandy, we could end this episode right now without mentioning a certain name. We could do that. Yeah. We have that option. What do you think? Nah, nah, let's, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> 25,000 people still did vote for Faith Goldie. I mean, that, that, that's concerning. You know, I have a different take on this. And correct me if I'm wrong. So I have a little bit of experience with municipal politics because I actually ran for municipal politics in Vancouver in 2011 as an independent. I did not know that. As an I independent candidate. I, was, I ran for council. And I who was independent, and I was way out of the running because I was independent. I got 21,000 votes. Let me tell you how few 25,000 votes is. It is tiny. This is a humiliating result because Vancouver only had 145,000 votes altogether, and I got like 21,000. So in in Toronto Hold on, let me understand this. Did you endorse any Nazi books? Did I you endorse uh, no Nazi books? Do... But let's get off me. I'm just saying. How did, this okay, is tiny. did you This is tiny. Rudy Giuliani endorsed you though, right? To get the he did, No, he did. I didn't. But I okay, I good. just want to I just want to get to how bad this result is for Faith Goldie. First of all, 
Surely everybody understands that long before there was Faith Goldie, we had the NECOB controversy, we had a, an entire federal government election run on an overtly racist basis over the NECOBs, over the snitch line, the barbaric practices snitch line. Yep. I mean, the conservative voices have been pushing the racial debate for years. They've tried to exploit it and they've been successful at it. And here along comes Faith Goldie, who just goes, you know, unacceptedly too far. But it's not like she's out of the wheelhouse of all of these other people. She's extremely media savvy. She's got very high name recognition. She gets nods from Conrad Black, from U.S. Senator Steve King. She gets photographed with Doug Ford. We've had three years of nonstop Donald Trump racism. We've had rebel media, and she can't move the dial. I mean, any Nazi, any known, I mean, I'm not even going to call her a Nazi because even the Nazis don't think she's good enough as a Nazi. <laughs> so, so, she's, so she doesn't even really pass their test. But you could have... Any candidate with all of those all of those attributes of high name recognition and media savvy could have got three percent out of the gate no matter what, period. So I think she did incredibly badly. She won. She won the she won the game that she was playing. Right? I no. I don't think so, because Marine Le Pen got thirty-three percent of the vote in France. That's, she's not trying to win. She wasn't trying to no, win. No, she's not. She, she's not trying to win. She's just trying to get more attention. But it's not getting anywhere. I mean, if there's a message here to anybody in electoral politics, it's that this extremism isn't going to go anywhere. The the electorate is not going to take this bait. Yeah, I, I think that that is true, and that is like I'm, I'm glad. Like every time you take this garbage to market, I'm, I'm glad that it gets shoved back in people's faces. The snitch line, uh, Kelly Leach, Faith Goldie, like, no, you know, uh, the CAC in Quebec notwithstanding. But she got the media coverage. I mean, she got every, the media coverage she got, and she leveled up. She, she leveled up. Yep. She had CNN coming after her. She got in a fight with uh, Monica Lewinsky. Ridiculous. But, you know, it, it's this horrible thing where, like, even when she embarrasses herself with that exchange with, uh, with Lewinsky, she's talking to Lewinsky, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, Will and Grace, what's her name? You know, like Deborah Messing. Like she is level. She's being hated by a whole other class of celebrity. Well, it's over now because look how badly she did. I mean, who's going to pay attention to her now? Nobody worries about her now. Well, we're paying attention right now. I guess we're going to see. Like she, she, she's happy. so far. Yeah, like she, she has painted herself like there's nowhere to move for her, but like further into that like hateful corner. So you know, that that is a world. It has a funding system. It has an audience. It exists. Mm-hmm. You know, and. and and she's one of its stars. So. Well, even the, even the Nazis were pretty ticked at her by the time the, everything was counted. I don't know if you saw any of that. Richard Spencer was uh, disavowing her. Yeah, she had to kind of steer back to the center and pissed off the Nazis. Yeah, you, you know what? It's not even about her. I, I am concerned. Look, I, I would love to have a little dance at her humiliation. I really would. I don't like Nazis uh, or Nazi sympathizers. I'm not calling her a Nazi. Not yet. Mm-hmm. But... I was alarmed to see a Toronto municipal election become fodder for that world. And I feel like that's not the end of it. I think that using local political theatrics and ideas of Canada as a soft place on immigrants and blah, 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 to plug in kind of these monstrous international voices into our process, it scares the hell out of me. I got to tell you. Well, I am with you. And I only just keep coming back to the fact that 
And we like to avert our eyes and forget what happened in 2015, which I think was one of the most shameful elections in Canadian history, that it was overtly racist. We had attacks on Muslim women, unprecedented levels of physical attacks on Muslim women and on South Asian women generally. It was awful. And I think we are kidding ourselves if we think that if we can just shut up Faith Goldie, we're going to hear the end of it. Watch the next election. We will be talking about race because it pays for the big boys. Okay, that is your Canada Land Shortcut. Sandy, it is always such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me again, Jesse. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Sandy, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter at, at Garosino, and I'm on the National Observer, writing on the National Observer and have a podcast. You should listen to that, everybody. We have a website. It is canadalandshow.com. Our series on Thunder Bay is live. Episodes one and two came out, and episode three will come out on Monday. Please listen to that and tell a friend. This episode was produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. One last reminder, we are in crowdfunding mode. This is the time when we need your help. Please go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand and support our work. Thank you.